If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. And uh, this is the first book of the New Testament. And we're just going to read the, um, the, the, the conception story of Jesus here. Uh, we're heading into this season called Advent. We're actually in it right now. And what is Advent? Advent means, literally, it means coming or arrival. Um, may, you know, you, you, you may have grown up as a kid with these little Advent calendars, and then you open up the calendar, and it's got a little piece of chocolate on the inside. That has nothing to do with Jesus, okay? The real Advent is this understanding of a longing for the coming of a Messiah, the longing for the, 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 the arrival of, the, of a Savior who can set us free from our sins. And we get this understanding from Israel, who was promised a Messiah who would come to them, and we as the church now, we, we reminisce, we Remember, we, we put on ourselves this, this burden of wanting and desiring and needing and longing for a Savior who sets us free. So that's what this time of Advent is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at one aspect of the beauty of Emmanuel, which means God with us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. We'll read verses 18 to the end of the chapter. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, that's before they had relations, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man un and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and this is Isaiah saying, hello? Hmm? Saying in, in Isaiah, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Here we have this the story that we probably heard. If you've grown up in the church at any period of time, you've heard this repeated over and over and over. And what I want us to focus on this morning is this beauty of what Emmanuel is. Emmanuel, this literally means God with us. Jesus coming down from heaven, being fully God, coming down and putting on himself flesh and blood, bones and skin, and becoming human, just like one of us. And if, if we start to think about that, the reality of the truth of Jesus coming down to earth has implications for us as we walk our discipleship, as we follow Jesus, as we call ourselves Christians. The implications for us are deep, they're meaningful, and they actually help us and aid us in our Christian walk. See, the context here where um, Matthew quotes Isaiah is first where uh, King Ahaz Hello, what's going on this morning, guys? 
This is probably a good time to silence your cell phones if you didn't weren't sure. Um, so King Ahaz is afraid of, uh, uh, I believe, Syria, and so he looks to Assyria for help, and the prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, listen, don't try to find your hope in this other nation. Don't try to like, look to them to be able to fight for you. I'm going to tell you about someone who's going to come, and it's a Messiah, and he's going to be able to rescue you. And he prophesies something that Ahaz probably didn't want to hear or took him quite off guard is that there will be a child born who will rescue you. Now, if I'm a king in a situation where I'm fearing an impending army coming and taking me over, I probably don't want someone to tell me, hey, it's going to be all right. This little baby's going to come. You're like, well, that's cool. You know, little baby Yoda, if you guys have been watching Mandalorian. This little, oh, he's so cute. That, what is that going to do? It's not going to help me. And I think this prophecy to him caught him off guard. I think it probably caught Mary and Joseph off guard. I mean, if you read the account in the other gospels, it talks about how Mary, she's like scared for her life. I mean, imagine being, being pregnant before you're married in a Jewish culture where you could literally be stoned to death for such a thing. And your only excuse is, God did it. Yeah, right, sure, Mary. Not even her own fiance. He had to have an angel come to him. Imagine living in the shame of that. Imagine being the shock. And imagine even when the angel tells you, no, God is growing in your tummy, you're still kind of like, okay, really? And I think not only did it catch Ahaz off guard, not only does it catch Mary and Joseph off guard, but I think it catches us off guard. We know the story. We, we, we believe in the, the virgin's birth. We, we understand that the Holy Spirit overwhelmed and overcame Mary and conceived the Son of God in her womb. But the reality of that sometimes feels so out there and ethereal, right? It's like, oh, it's a, it, most of our Christmas time usually has to do with lit up trees and Starbucks peppermint mochas and all the gifts and all the little rosy cheeks we see on our kids as they're feeling overheated because we make them wear these onesies and we, they look so cute in but they're hot, you know? And a lot of our hope is in that kind of thing during Christmas, but when it should be directed toward Emmanuel, God with us, sometimes the implications of that get lost on us. You know what blows my mind? The reality that Jesus put himself, he's fully God. We just read it this morning in Colossians, right? The preeminence of Christ. He, he created all things for him and by him. Jesus literally holds all things together. The reason why we do not just fly apart, the reason why our atoms just go is because God, Jesus, is literally holding things together. And to take the truth of the fact that the almighty creating God humbled himself and became an embryo, I don't even know what to do with that. How does, how does the consciousness of a creating God humble himself to become vulnerable little cells being knit together in a human womb? See, if you or I were God, we would do it in a different way. We would have God, if he needed to become man, he would come down, he would come down like Thor, 
You know what I mean? There would be like this rainbow light, boom. The ground would like crack when he hit the ground. He'd be like, what's up, everybody? Swirling his hammer, and we'd be like, that's God. And it would be recognizable, it's God, right? Led Zeppelin would be playing in the background. All of this crazy stuff would be happening. But God, in his infinite wisdom, comes to us, and he humbles himself so much to the point where he avails himself to be put into the womb of a teenage girl who will suffer shame at no end. Let me get a little nerdy with you for a second. You're saying I already did. At conception, an egg and sperm join to form a human embryo, a pronuclear, two-celled person created in the image of God. The Lord designs these cells to divide so that in just a few days, four to 12 cells are present. Five to six days after conception, the embryo is deemed a bladocyst, yep, okay, I said that right, and has amazingly grown into more cells that can be counted. At this stage, the embryo is still imperceptible to the naked eye and able only to be viewed through a high-powered microscope. I don't know if that ever has dawned on you that Jesus was so, he was a microscopic dot at one point. Here, the creator of the universe, the one who's, who's created such a universe that is unmeasurable, now has humbled himself to the point where he can be unseen. That should blow our minds. And you know what the implications of that are? It's the reality that God is not aloof, that God did not just come down like Thor and just show up and be like, hey guys, everybody worship me because I'm so powerful, I could crush you in a moment like this. No, the implications are that we say, why would such a God do such a thing that he would take on flesh and bones and skin and blood and bleed and feel pain and all of the sufferings that you and I all experience, why would he do such a thing? It's so that he could be Emmanuel, God with us. Not God aloof. The, I don't know if you remember in the 90s, there was a song by um, this lady named, I think her name was Joan Osborne. And she sang this song called, What If God Was One of Us? I don't know if you remember. What if God was one of us? And, I, and I, I hear that. Yeah, don't start singing that. And I remember the church getting real riled up about that. Oh, what a blasphemous song. I can't believe that should be banned from the radio, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, it's blasphemous. And I think, but I think the tr real tragedy in that song is she's singing these lyrics, not understanding how ironic it is that she's singing such a thing. What if God was one of us, as if he wasn't? And I think sometimes, friends, during this Christmas time of the year, we forget the beauty and the truth that Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. And he came down and he humbled himself, even to the point where he became a microscopic dot inside of the womb of an imperfect person. It should blow our minds. I want to give us just two things. It's usually three. I just want to give us two things that I think during this holiday season, if we say, God, you are Emmanuel. Jesus, you are Emmanuel. You're God with us. How does this help me? Is it just to like blow my mind or is it really meet me where I'm at? 
and a couple things here. Let, let, me, let me say this first before I give you these two points. I, I've had one girlfriend other than my wife growing up. And that girlfriend doesn't really count. I was like in junior high when I, and we used to call it going around. I don't know, okay? <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I remember being in school and it's like you had, like I got to the age where there's like peer pressure. Everybody's got to have a girlfriend. Me and my best friend were like, okay, we're going to ask these two, two girls out at the same time. And I asked this girl, I said, you want to go around? I mean, I just remember the nervousness of that. We were on the, this is during like recess, out on the green top. You want to go around? And to my delight, she said yes. And I think we were going around for like four or five weeks, right? It was, it was hardcore. <laughs> during this four to five weeks, we found ourselves at my friend's house at a party. And... I remember her walking out of the house. It was nighttime, and I, I was thinking, hmm, you know, she's going outside. We're going to be by ourselves. So I follow her outside, and I'm thinking, maybe I'm going to get to hold her hand. Maybe I'll get a little kiss or something. You know, this is what 14-year-olds think. And uh, walking out, and we just, all of a sudden, our conversation turned really deep. And she started telling me about her life and how hard it was. And she had grown up with a Christian understanding, but she was saying to me, in essence, I, I'm going through this stuff, but no one understands, and I feel like God doesn't even understand these things that are going through my life. And me being dumb and young, didn't really know how to tell her. You know, I, I was trying to say, well, well, I understand. I understand, so do you want to kiss me now? You know, kind of a thing. <laughs> and, and just, hey, if you have young boys in your family, this is what they're thinking all the time, just so you know. Girls, this is what boys are thinking all the time. And in that moment, me being a believer, I didn't have the wherewithal to be able to tell her, yeah, you know what? No one really may be able to understand. I don't understand. But there absolutely is one person who truly, completely understands. And it's going to be more real and it's more powerful for you than me or any human person. And that person is Jesus. And I want to say that for you this morning who may feel, when I'm going to talk about these two things here, may feel like no one understands. No one knows what I'm going through. And I want to say, friends, there is one, it doesn't matter what person who you may be able to relate to, there is one infinite God who completely understands because he became flesh. And the first area is this. I want to say Jesus understands us in our loneliness. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and he was rejected by men. The Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief. I don't know if you ever think about this, but imagine Jesus growing up. Imagine the, the outcast he must have felt sometimes being a child. Oh, what's up with that freak? Some of that weird kid. He's not like the rest of us. He always does the right thing. He's a goody two-shoes. How come he's different than us? Come on, Jesus. Don't you just once want to steal this from your dad's cupboard? We're going to go down and mock the Pharisees, Jesus. Don't you want to go down and do that with us? Jesus like, no. You're weird. You're weird. Come on, let's go, guys. Let's just leave him alone. 
And imagine his own brothers and sisters. I mean, the Bible says in, in the book of John that not his own brothers and sisters didn't recognize that he was who he was. Imagine the pain he must have felt. I don't know if you have any siblings, I and mean, maybe your siblings gang up on you. You know, we have our, our youngest boy, and he, he's got this quite an age gap difference, and a lot of the times he gets left out. I mean, he's not, even, he's not gonna come tonight to our serve team appreciation dinner. The only one in our family who won't enjoy in that. He's just not old enough. He doesn't serve on a serve team. And that's not that big of a deal, right? It's not like he's being shunned by us, but sometimes he, because of his age, he gets left out and, and part of the family, or sometimes the kids pick on him. Oh, you're just Judah, you know. Imagine being Jesus. <laughs> it's true, you know you do it. <laughs> your own brothers, your own flesh and blood, who should have your back, push you away from stuff. Don't recognize your value and your worth. Not only that, it wasn't probably just his brothers and sisters. His mom and dad did stuff like that to him all the time. There's a, there's a moment where his family's traveling. Jesus goes to the temple and starts teaching at 12 years old. Mary and Joseph just happy, going through, on their way with the rest of the family. All of a sudden, it's like this home alone moment. <laughs> Kevin! Right? Where's Jesus? Do, do you know where Jesus is? Do you know where Jesus is? I, figured, I thought he was with you. I thought Jesus was with you. They come back and they find Jesus preaching in the temple. As a parent, you're probably like, this kid's a little weird. Jesus knows the loneliness. And listen, friends, I get it. This time of the year can be lonely. This time of the year can be brutal. But Jesus knows it. You're not alone in your loneliness. He's not some like floating God who never touches the ground and says that's above me or beneath me. Wearing white gloves and never getting himself dirty. Never understanding our plight. The other area I want to encourage us this season is in the area of temptation. This is what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's not only the emotional distress that you and I often feel and can be tempted to believe that we're alone in, it's also the temptation to sin that Jesus understands. Now, let me say this. Well, if you remember, Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be what? To be tempted by Satan. That's incredible. God intentionally leads Jesus out into this place after he is weak, his body is weak, he's fasted for 40 days, and the Holy Spirit intentionally leads him out to be tempted by Satan himself in the wilderness when he's all alone. And what are the three things that Satan tempts him with? It's the same things that you and I struggle with. It's like, if you're hungry, you just fast for 40 days, why don't you turn these rocks into some bread? You're, you're Jesus, you're God, you could do it. Or if, if you really are God, if you really are all-powerful, if you really are who you say you're all, prove it. Throw yourself off of this building. And I, I guarantee you, Jesus, that angels will come and pick you up and they won't let your foot hit the ground. Prove yourself. And then the last one, he says, hey, 
All right, I get it. Those two things, you're bigger than those things. But the last one, let me show you something. Let me, come with me up on this hill. Let me show you this. Look at, look at the cities. Look at all these millions of people. You know what? I'm not going to make it hard for you. I won't fight for them. I won't, there won't be a wrestle between you and me, good and evil. I won't, I won't fight for them. I won't try to get them on my side. All you have to do, all you got to do, just bow, down, bow your knee to me, and I'll give it to you. Jesus experienced every temptation that we do. Now, the reality is while Jesus was fully man, he was still fully God. He didn't have a sinful nature like you and I. So when sometimes we hear this thing like Jesus understood every temptation, he did in his humanity, but he didn't have a sinful nature like you and me. And the beauty of that is that he did not sin. That means that sometimes we want to sit here and we want to have a God who can put his arm around us and go, I know what it's like to want to sin. I know what it's like to feel that desire to lust in your heart or to give yourself over to this. And we sometimes want someone who it's like birds of a feather flock together, right? We want misery loves company. We want a God who's be able to say like, I understand, I, I failed at that too. But we have a savior who in his humanity was fully God and said, I understand the temptation. I understand the frailty of my own humanness, feeling the effects of that. But let me also tell you that I am fully God and I never surrendered over to those temptations. And that for us gives us freedom in Christ to say we don't have to any longer be subject to those temptations. I know that in this, these Christmas times, it's easy to want to indulge when we're tired, the season just seems to like pull us from this party to that party and there's all these opportunities to let our flesh just have a little bit more indulgence. And friends, let me encourage you during this time, because Christ is God with us, he not only overcomes our loneliness, sometimes impetus to want to indulge in the flesh, but he also overcame our temptation and he gave us the freedom as Isaiah preached a couple weeks ago that we are no longer slaves to sin. We're slaves now to righteousness. Our flesh does not have to give, be given over to the temptation anymore. Let me just encourage us with this and I'll end because I know we're out of time. Jesus does not just experience loneliness and temptation, he destroyed it. Jesus did not just experience loneliness and temptation, he destroyed it for us on our behalf. See, by Jesus' death and resurrection, it gives us the empowerment so when we start to believe the lies of the enemy that whispers in our ears and says, you have no family, you're gonna spend Christmas alone. Nobody loves you. This person who used to be in your life, they're not anymore because you're, you're such a failure. You're an outcast. You know what? You should just go find some indulgence for your flesh here. When the enemy says to us during this season, hey, it's okay, you've done really well. You've, this whole year, you've been a really good boy or bad, you know, you, you've, good girl. You, you've done all the right things one little indulgence in too much alcohol, just to feel the joy of it during this season, won't really do that much harm. 
If you let your eyes drift this way and look at these certain things just to give yourself a little pleasure during this time, it's not that big of a deal. You've been a good boy, good girl all year long. Jesus didn't just experience loneliness, didn't just experience temptation. He crushed it. This is what Romans 6.18 says. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Let's end again in the book of Matthew. It says this in chapter 27, verse 46. This is why Jesus crushed it. This is the proof that we have. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know if there's a more human moment for Jesus other than this here. This happened so that I can preach what I'm preaching today. And to be able to say, not because I came up with this information on my own, but because we know Scripture tells us that Jesus overcame this temptation, loneliness, whatever you're going to experience this, this, this month, this holiday season, and, and, and are tempted to forget the Emmanuelness of our Savior. We come back to the truth of what happened on the cross, that Jesus was abandoned literally for us. That Jesus was broken for us. That Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief for us. The same Jesus who was a microscopic cell, grew, became a man, overcame sin and death. Emmanuel, God with us. Will you stand?